Staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Rolling back taxes, helping business, helping energy, rolling back regulations. That stuff is working. It's taking hold. And anybody who thinks this is a one-off, anybody who thinks this is just a 4% second quarter, please think again. And if we lower trade barriers and give the United States a chance to export, we will do great because we're the most competitive economy in the world right now. We are killing it. And now, Stacey Washington. He said, we are killing it. <laughs> I like that. It's, it's, you know, all you do is just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for an economy that's booming. Please show me what to do with my extra funds so that I can sow those seeds into a place that will ye- reap me some some benefits, some increase. Yes. Um, that's fantastic. So right now, I want to, last segment, I got into this discussion about Me Too and sexuality and all of that. Um, there's a war on for your kids, their minds, and really it's to tamp down the enthusiasm about marriage because marriage is the foundational building block of this country. It keeps, uh, the, it's the powerhouse for this country. When we go to war, it's, it's married couples. The kids go off to war. The husbands go to war. The wives stay home and build the bombs and all that stuff. I know that's World War II type stuff, but it's still, the concept still works today. And the, the marriage is in the image of God, which is why Satan attacks it. You notice Satan shows up on the scene in the Bible after all the creation that was good. Satan was like, yeah, yeah. You know, that just points to God. But when God created Adam and Eve, all of a sudden you got the serpent in the garden trying to, trying to, you know, snare them up. So that's, that's the attack point. Um, and in that same vein, I mean, this is just bad news and it really, it's terrible. And I'm, I'm sharing it because if you're out there in America today, because of this explosion of acceptance for transgender uh, behavior and coming out as transgender and all that stuff, a lot of families are finding themselves dealing with this where previous to this, their, their kid wouldn't have even had an idea that this was something they could do. Now it's being promoted in the cartoons and on TV. You know, you have to police up what your kids are watching. And so here we are, we've got half of all transgender female teens have attempted suicide. I don't share this because this, this is terrible news. It's disturbing. But if we know that this is what's going on, we can try to uh, cut it off at the knees when we see it starting to kind of bubble up under the surface in our own families, in our extended families, et cetera. These kids need counseling and prayer, not hormones and mutilating surgeries. So one in every two transgender adolescents who are female, but identify as male have attempted suicide in the past year, according to a new study. The study is called transgender adolescent suicide behavior. It was published in pediatrics, the official peer reviewed journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And it raises serious questions as to how families, schools, doctors, government, and the media should grapple with the increasing number of children and teens who label themselves transgender. So first of all, We're at the first point in our history as a nation ever where transgenderism, which has traditionally been less than 1% of the population, it doesn't matter how many people we have, whether we have 1 or 2 million or 300 million, it's always been percentage-wise a steady state, because it's a mental illness, occurring within less than 1% of our population. But now that we're glorifying it and 
uplifting it and holding up as a standard of something that we want people to do. Now that we have drag queens reading to toddlers, now that we have kids who are transgendered making their own dolls and selling them, you know, in the mainstream, now that we have cartoons and television and everyone else telling children that if you even have the slightest little inkling that you, there might be something not quite right about you, that's transgenderism and it's perfectly fine. And we have parents accepting it because their doctors have told them, the pediatricians have said, look, it's not right for you to try to make your child live in the body they've been born into. If they want to live in a different body, you need to help them. So, of course, it's on the rise, but with devastating effects. In addition to the alarmingly high rate of suicide attempts among transgender girls, the study reported an attempted suicide rate of more than 40% for adolescents who call themselves gender nonconforming. These are kids who call themselves uh, neither exclusively male nor female. And then the suicide rate for transgender male teens is 30%. So if this, I'm just summing up what's said here, don't shoot the messenger. If your child says, I think I'm in the wrong body, that means they're entering into a realm of behavior where their suicide rate is 40% for girls 30% for boys and 40% for kids who are, I'm sorry, half. It's 50% for transgender girls, 40% for gender nonconforming, meaning they, they, they call themselves Z or, you know, some, some other weird thing and 30% for, for the boys. I mean, you, you should be sitting straight up right now and thinking who's the last person who told you that this was okay. That person does not have children's best interests at heart. That person is participating in this madness. Run from that person. Researchers said they didn't find any evidence that non-Caucasian transgender youth were at a higher risk compared with whites. Higher levels of education among parents and geographical location, urban or rural, rural, did not have a significant effect on suicide attempts either. To arrive at the results, three researchers from the University of Arizona analyzed a survey filled out by more than 120,000 young Americans between the ages of 11 and 19. By comparison, they found that 14% of all teenagers had attempted suicide at least once. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, suicide is the second leading cause of death among adolescents and young adults aged 10 to 34 in the U.S. So Russell B. Toomey, Ph.D., focuses his work on youth who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or what they call queer. And because his research focuses on that group, Any attempt to discredit his research by saying he's anti-LGBTQ won't work. He's been studying this group of individuals for a very long time, not with the intent of changing them, just to find out more about the group. So this is not a, a study by a religious organization or someone that can easily be dismissed or discredited by mainstream leftists. And I, I just have to, I have to know how you, any person as a Christian can be in church on Sunday, lifting their hands in the sanctuary and on Wednesday night at Bible study, you know, at, you know, Wednesday night service doing their thing. But during the week, they're advocating for this, which means it's a straight line from 
validating this type of behavior, validating transgender behaviors and the uplifting of it, and then children who declare it suddenly feeling like because they're they're having wrong thoughts validated and the majority of society does not accept this behavior when they realize they're they're not only not being accepted but it's a larger group of people that don't accept them than before then they start on the road down the, the path down to wanting to kill themselves how do you reconcile that how do you even open your mouth up to be praying and lifting your hands up in church if this is what you're peddling off to everybody else it's harmful to children it's harmful to parental relationships it's harmful to the advancement of us making things better for kids and not worse. So he even looked at uh, the relationships with explicit attention to the minority specific stressors of prejudice, stereotyping, discrimination that contribute to the disparate rates of negative outcomes experienced by sexual and gender diverse adolescents. What a word salad. Sexual and gender diverse and the protective factors, which are family support, acceptance, that buffer these associations. So, you know, um, Latinx is a term some use to, instead of Latino or Latina, in an attempt to circumvent Spanish's gendered noun system. He, but he's basically saying he looked at it from the perspective of, are these kids in urban areas? Are they in rural areas? Are their parents affluent? Are their parents educated? To try to see if there were any ameliorating factors for the high rate of suicide attempts. So the new study comes on the heels of another alarming and controversial one examining the contagious nature of transgender ideology, which we covered here on the show. Remember, we talked about this on the program. You know, it's I have to actually say, thank God that the study by Littman that showed that there's this uh, social pathology that can cause explosions in, uh, in rates of kids declaring themselves transgender that it's being referenced by this researcher, which means attempts to stop that study from attaining validity by you know, publication and, and wide readership by other academics, that has failed. That's good. That's good that it's still out there for people to reference. Now, even though Littman's study wasn't peer-reviewed, she concluded that her study raises more questions for research, um, even in spite of Brown University pulling the actual data down from their website. So these numbers deserve repeating. One in two biological girls who call themselves boys tried to kill themselves last year. Now let's drill that down for just a second. Last year on television, children saw a lot of information that told them that if you have anything wrong with you, it might be because you're transgender. If you are, just tell your parents you're transgender. There's nothing they can do about it. Ask them for hormones. Start changing your body. Make your body match whatever you feel in your mind. Gender's not between your knees. It's what's between your ears. That was a slogan that they put out in public schools. And so kids responded by, hey, I am. I'm, I, need, I need to make some changes. After declaring that, half of them decided instead of walking that out, they would rather just die. Just let that sink into you for a minute. The Bible talks about how you shall not touch his anointed. And that if you lead a child astray, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied about your neck than to face the creator after doing that. So a lot of people are going to have some serious reckoning to do 
for the way that they are leading astray millions of innocent children with this reckless, ideologically driven nonsense. But as much as they're going to have to answer for, it's the parents. Your child says, I don't think, you know, and I'm talking about the little tiny ones when they're two and three and four. I'm a boy and they're a girl. Nope, God made you a girl. Girls can play with trucks. Girls can wear overalls. Girls can wear tennis shoes. You do not have to convert your daughter into a boy because she likes engineering type toys better than Barbies. Same with boys. A little boy who likes to sew might grow up to be the man who sews the, the suit that the next astronauts go up into space in. There's, there is no reason to think that a little boy needs to be a girl just because he likes doing things that are more traditionally associated with girl activity. But you have to stop it at dressing up like the opposite sex. And as parents, we are responsible and we've all been there as parents. We've, we've done, you know, you make a decision and then later you're like, man, not only did that not work out, but I should have seen that, you know, the result coming. And so you have to make a correction. And if you're in that position where you've allowed some pediatrician to convince you that your child is transgender and they need to have some things, just reverse course. That is your child. You are responsible for them. And I'm not talking about the responsibility of the U.S. government saying that you can't leave your child at the bus stop by themselves until they're 13. Those laws are real. They exist. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But I'm talking about the responsibility that comes from knowing that one day you're going to be judged and that God is going to hold you accountable for what you did with those kids. And it's serious business. Now you're armed with the information. Enabling this transgender nonsense in your child means if, it, if you have a daughter, she will 50% chance she's going to try to kill herself. And if it's a boy, the chance is 30%. Don't go down that road. It's a trap from the enemy and it's meant to destroy your family, starting with your child. All right, when we get back, we're going to be talking about the white awake spaces. And we're going to listen to Clarence Thomas talking about partisanship and uh, Spartacus. <laughs> Stay right there. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. For the last two years, we've just had tremendous response, early response to the announcement that we're going to Israel on a Holy Land tour. We're going March of this year. We go March of every year. Last year, we filled up like early fall, and I expect us to fill up early fall this year as well. So if you're interested in this March 14th through the 22nd tour, and you'll be going with primarily supporters of AFA and AFR, just get the brochure and check it out. You can call us today at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your address, and we'll mail you a brochure. If you simply want to go online, all the information is there. It's at twholyland.com, twholyland.com. If you want to go in March, we're filling up and we're filling up fast. So check it out, twholyland.com. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Perhaps you've been involved in a political discussion with people and wondered how they could be so naive about foreign policy or criminal justice because they just wanted to believe every person is basically good. Perhaps you've been sharing your faith with someone who rejected the idea of a savior because he or she rejected the idea of human sinfulness. So many people in America are naive about human nature, evil, and sin because they live in one of the greatest countries in the world that is insulated from the harmful realities of life. In many countries, greed and corruption are a way of life. I know that people in America complain about political corruption, but it isn't anything compared to what is a daily experience in many other countries. We're also shielded from strife and civil war. We've had an occasional terrorist attack that is unsettling, but we live in a world far removed from the daily threats people in other countries face. Dennis Prager writes about his experience at the University of California in Berkeley. He had a debate or dialogue with two left-wing students. His final question to them was, do you believe people are basically good? Without hesitation, they said yes. He reminded them that they could only think that way because they live in such a decent country insulated from poverty, corruption, and war. But he was troubled that just two generations after Auschwitz, they could be so naively believing in this. Since no Western religion based on the Bible teaches that people are basically good, this naivete is obviously the result of secularism. This naive view of human nature keeps many from seeing the need for deterrence and protection from evildoers, and it keeps them from seeing their need for the gospel. It is one of the greatest mental obstacles we face whenever we engage in a discussion about human nature. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From Universal 1440, Unbroken, Path to Redemption, the rest of World War II hero Louis Zamperini's true story. Now playing rated PG-13. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. What about impeaching President Trump? I I think it's a mistake to talk about impeachment. I think that we shouldn't be politicizing it. If you put it in the discussion now, you're making something political. Uh, I I, I think we have to be really careful and be very uh, analytical about whatever evidence is there. And it's not there yet Mm -hmm. because the the Mueller uh, investigation really has to run its course. And then you can make an evaluation. Hmm. Just John Kerry, okay? <laughs> That's John Kerry putting out the clarion call. Stop talking about impeachment, because if you talk about that, people won't want to vote for you. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the show. StacyOnTheRight.com, AFR.net, and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Uh, call lines are open. It's a wonderful Friday afternoon. If you'd like to call into the show, 866-963-2037. So let's listen to Clarence Thomas. You've got Clarence Thomas. He's being interviewed. He's decrying partisanship at the judicial confirmation hearings. And by the way, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, said much the same thing. I just didn't pull the audio for you because it's so torturous to listen to. But she basically said things right now are wrong and things the way they used to be back when she was confirmed, where 96 votes would go to confirm any justice just because they were looking at qualifications only, not partisanship. That's the way it should be. That's what she said. Now, here's Clarence Thomas saying much the same thing. Um, What do you think about that kind of a question? And what really, in your view, preserves the legitimacy of our court in this country? First, I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, I think what preserves all of our legitimacy 
and it's what we were talking about with Greg Coleman, that we do our jobs honestly, we do it with integrity, we do it with a, an ethical foundation, a moral foundation, we follow the law, we live up to the oaths that we take. And I think brick by brick, we build the structure and fabric of a society. Not one of us can tear it down or build it up by ourselves. But you just think about it. How many people can you use in leadership positions today? The word that I used about Greg, honorable. Honorable, not the honorable. Honorable. If we could use that word about more people who are in public life, people who actually ask the questions at confirmation hearings instead of Spartacus, we use... <laughs> had to get that in there, just oh. had to get that in there. Mm. <laughs> Look, we, the 300, but at any rate... <laughs> But the, if we could use the word honorable more often, think about the difference it'll make, then you'll have a legacy. We will have left the country in better shape morally, uh, structurally, than we found it. But as long as we're looking at our interests or scoring points or looking cute or being on TV or the greenhouse effect or what editorials we're getting, especially the legal system. How do we maintain it? If you can't debate hard issues, honestly, with honor, with integrity. I mean, what's to disagree with there? He's always brilliant. When, when he decides to speak, it's always well worth the wait. Um, really an amazing man. And, and I've, I know his wife, she's fantastic. Just a great couple. And we, we are so blessed to have him sitting on the Supreme Court using his intellect to, you know, decide constitutionality of cases. We need more like him. Uh, so Diane Feinstein was in the news yesterday and I was expressing shock and awe over her behavior. And, and a listener pointed out to me, well, why are you surprised? You know how she is. You know who that is. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, you're right. Um, I do know how she is. <laughs> But I was still surprised that she would pull this last minute stunt against Justice Kavanaugh. So the stunt that I'm referring to, if you're just tuning into the show and you missed yesterday, um, it's Senator Diane Feinstein. She forwarded an anonymous information to the FBI for investigation into Justice Kavanaugh or Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, apparently something that happened when he was in high school that no one felt it was needed to bring about. All this time he's been a judge on the D.C. Circuit and everywhere else. All these cases he's adjudicated. And now, just before the vote from the Senate Judiciary Panel that would move his confirmation process into the entire Senate for a full vote, now that all of the different machinations have failed, now it's time to talk about something he did that was untoward back when he was in high school. So we know the statute of limitations has run out on that, but not in the court of public opinion, which is why it's so important for us to remember the court of public opinion can turn on you too. So what they decided to do is what they do with every bit of information that's forwarded to them. An FBI official on, uh, was speaking about Dianne Feinstein's referral about Kavanaugh and said, upon receipt of the information on the night of September 12th, we included it as part of Judge Kavanaugh's background file as per the standard process. The standard process is that when you receive information, you put it in the candidate's background file so that it can be 
considered when it's time to take a vote. FBI backgrounds White House employees and nominees and gives the White House a file on what they found. It, the FBI doesn't decide whether or not a person gets a job or continues in the nomination process. The White House does that with the info in the FBI file. So the White House, so the, the FBI backgrounded Kavanaugh, gave the White House the file. The, the Feinstein gave them more info. They passed it on as well. The FBI isn't doing a criminal investigation based on what Feinstein told them. The broad outline of the, of the allegation seems to be in the state local authority wheelhouse if there is even a crime, and that's if the statute of limitations has not been run out. So let's go to the phones. Chris in Ohio. Welcome to Stacy on the Right on a Friday. Hello. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Stacy, this is Chris from Toledo. Uh, my wife and I had the pleasure of meeting you at the Urban Family Talk Conference. Hello, hello We're there, big, uh, and your wife as well. Yes, hello. <laughs> hello. Uh, big fans of the show. Uh, thank you for all you do. I was just calling to say I think Carrie and the notorious RBG are trying to pull impeachment off the table because they know that could be a really good dagger for the Republicans coming up on the midterm elections to use against the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And then to make them show their hand whether or not they would vote for those type of proceedings if, God forbid, they were to get control of the, uh, the House. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just something that they're going to pull off the table uh, just to keep the Republicans from utilizing that against them. As well as if they think that Hillary is going to run again in 2020, they would hope to have a, a new Republican Congress in her uh, second term, at the end of her second term, want to talk about getting her impeached. Yeah, so I think they, that, they wouldn't that's want the reason that. why they're trying to pull it off. So what do you think? The, so shouldn't shouldn't the opposing party utilize that knowledge that you just broke off on here? Use that knowledge in the campaigning anyway. <laughs> I mean, they should. Yeah, I think they should. I think they should because then, even though they're trying to pull it out of the discussion, it's like, no, we don't want to consider that. We need to speak about the fact that they were talking about it and they were vehemently talking about it. And then they were, you know, almost like Pavlov's dog. They were, you know, salivating about, oh, we're going to impeach this president. Mm-hmm. But when people are getting more money in their checks, uh, companies are hiring more. They're more for, uh, uh, you know, for higher signs out in windows. Uh, for myself, case in point, the owner of our company coming in saying he's added two more benefits packages mm. uh, for, uh, for those who are being loyal to the company who, who are uh, – going to stick around, you know, instead of shopping around, uh, this economy is doing great and, and they just can't, you know, refute that. So, um, let's throw every simple discussion or silly thing that they were trying to put out in the, in the, in the ethos, let's use it against them. You know, Chris, that's good analysis. Um, and so please pass on a hello from me to your wife. I listening audience, please. I met Chris and his wife at the marriage and family conference in Tupelo and I met so many great people there and, and Chris and his lovely spouse, they were, they were just two of those fantastic people that I got a chance to meet and shake hands with and chat. Uh, thank you so much for calling today. Happy weekend to you. You too. God bless. Bye-bye. <laughs> God bless. Yeah, we, we, um, has it, I'm still dining out off of that marriage and family conference, y'all. I gotta say. And I tend to be like, I, the closer I get to an event, I start getting really like antsy about it. I'm like, oh, is, is it going to be good? Am I going to do what I need to do? You know, yada, yada, yada. Next year, 
uh, I, I hope to do more at the conference and enjoy more of it. And of course, stay the entire second day. This this year, I had family things with our college age daughter and I had to get back on Saturday and the flights were not optimal for me. But next year, I'll be there for the whole weekend. and It's going to be so fun. I mean, I might even bring a few more Washingtons with me. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking that through. So uh, let's talk about these white awake safe spaces. Say that five times fast. The University of Maryland at College Park announced on Friday a new diversity support group to create a safe space for white students to discuss their feelings about interactions with racial and ethnic minorities. The support group called White Awake will help white students who may sometimes feel uncomfortable and confused before, during, or after interactions with racial and ethnic minorities. This group offers a safe space for white students to explore their experiences, questions, reactions, and feelings. Members will support and share feedback with each other as as they learn more about themselves and how they can fit into a diverse world. So let me tell you why they have to have this. By the way, tweets from people online. I am ashamed over the execution of Wide Awake, nor do I fully understand its claws. How can they fit into a diverse world? Why do they need to attend therapy sessions on how to be a decent human being in society? Why do they need to have these sessions to learn how to coexist? Well, I'll tell you why. Because these students, like at Evergreen University, the minority students have been empowered to chase their white professors off campus to tell them they can't go to the bathroom. They've been empowered to walk up to white people and say, you own your white privilege. So let's just say you're walking across the campus. If you've ever been in college, you know this happens. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You're thinking about all the projects and, and, and assignments that you have due that are coming due probably in 24 hours. And how many of them you haven't even started yet? You might have a cup of coffee in your hand. You might have a water bottle. You might just have your earbuds in. You're walking. You're minding your own business. And then someone comes up to you and starts confronting you about your white privilege. This is no different than when back in the Jim Crow era, any black person could be accosted by a white person and there was really nothing that could be done about it. The black person had no recourse. Do we really want that kind of society where on college campuses where you're supposed to be elevating your mind and learning analytical and critical thinking instead, everyone's spending all their time confronting each other and then running to their safe spaces? How about if there are no safe spaces, no safe spaces for whites, blacks, Latinos, anybody? How about if nobody has to be woke? Nobody has to confront any privilege. How about if everybody just focuses on their academics and their schoolwork so they can get their college educations and get back to paying their student loans guys out of the window i just saw the biggest poodle i've ever seen run across our front yard just telling y'all what's going on in the studio so i i don't agree with the safe space for these students but it sounds like they need one because their classmates have been empowered to punk them out on campus it's wrong all the way around why can't why can't anybody just say that just look stop confronting people, strangers, people you don't know. Just let everybody go to class and do their work because they're paying tuition for it. I can't even imagine paying tuition for a school like that where they were wasting time on that. I'm going to tell you that is not a place I would spend any tuition dollars. As hard as it is to fund a college education for a young adult, I wouldn't waste 10 cents at that place. You know, we we get these mailers from the different colleges and universities because, you know, if you have a kid who takes the ACT, SAT, um, and especially if they're a senior, that information goes out and then they start mailing you stuff. And I stand right over the recycle bin. I pull the mail out of the mailbox. 
and any university that I've heard anything about any of this, you know, rampant liberalism, their stuff goes straight into the recycle bin. It doesn't even make it inside the house. I mean, I pull it out in the garage where the recycle bin is and I recycle it down. And then any university that is in the running, that at least makes it into the house for whichever kid is reviewing college stuff to look at and then, you know, ends up going to the recycle bin. But it, at least we know where they're thinking about applying. This is something that that's where the rubber meets the road. Just like liberals have destroyed California, they're destroying our higher education system. They can't get the whole thing, but they're taking down a lot of really great educational options that used to be available to any old kid. And now I'm not the only parent who's doing this. Look at Mizzou's enrollment. Mizzou's enrollment is in the floor. It's so bad that I got an email uh, pitching one of their university professors who's in the J school. Mizzou has a world-renowned J school. Mizzou is the Missouri Missouri University. Yeah, Missouri University. And it's in Columbia, Missouri. And they used to be able to, I mean, just very difficult to get into. Even though it's a state school, people would come from around the country to attend. Now they've closed, I think, six dorms. They, you know, they've, they don't have enough students because all of their faculty has been found to be these hardcore activists. And parents aren't going to spend their money on that. Not only that, students who know that the school is an activist school, they see this stuff. They're not interested in safe spaces. They're not interested in politics. They want to go and study and have fun. So if your campus has a fun atmosphere and a place that's, that's you know, you can find your own way, get into maybe a sport or a club or be friends with people in your, in your discipline that you're studying, you know, sky's the limit. And so you're going to see, you see the population is already shifting. Their enrollment is down. Other state schools in Missouri, their enrollment is exploding because the parents, the kids are graduating from high school. They're sending them right over to the university that does not have social justice. So I get, you know, if they want to destroy Mizzou, whatever. I, I asked the professor to come on the show to talk. And when she found out it was Stacy on the right, she gave me the runaround. So she won't be coming on. Fancy that. All right, we'll get back. We'll have more for you. Stay right there. picture perfect. Human beings come in all different shapes, sizes, colors, and abilities. No matter how much we plan, no matter how much we think we're prepared, the unplanned happens all the time. It's how we respond to the unexpected that shows our true humanity. But many do not see the value of every human life. Too many are willing to discard those who don't fit the picture of perfection. Abortion destroys the chance to love and to be loved. We never know what will fill the frames of our lives or how empty those frames can be when we allow exceptions. Every life is a gift. 
Learn more at www.radiance.life. Y'all have encouraged us to go out, stand for the Word of God, stand politically. It's truly a blessing to hear how God is using Urban Family Talk. Just want to say I love everything that Urban Family does. Will you take a moment to share your story? Call 877-327-5647. That's 877-327-5647. Thanks. Please call your senators today. It's time to put an end to the liberals' filibuster. Tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood now. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Again, call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. This is Fox on Justice. All 12 members of the jury must agree that a defendant is guilty of a crime, but not in Louisiana, where a jury can vote 11 to 1 or 10 to 2 for a felony conviction. The law goes back to 1880, soon after the passage of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, opening up jury service to African Americans. Louisiana changed its state constitution. To perpetuate the supremacy of the Anglo-Saxon race in Louisiana. Angela Allen Bell reads from 1880 documents, she's leading the charge to change the law, which she says is a throwback to Jim Crow times, designed to lock up black people. Completely in violation of law as well as human rights principles. Oregon is the only other state with a similar law, but on election day, Louisiana voters will be asked whether they want to get rid of the non-unanimous verdicts and require a 12 to nothing jury vote to find someone guilty. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weindlum, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I mean, putting that forward. This could potentially gum up at least the works moving forward, uh, let alone threaten the nomination. You would likely see Judge Kavanaugh address this at some point, but uh, we don't know what it is. Look, I think the Democrats' strategy has been clear since day one when they began interrupting the hearings. They want to delay the vote. They want to delay this nomination. Hopefully, past, from their point of view, past the election. And then if the Democrats have a good election, then they can say, well, look, we delayed him to this point. We just won the election. We shouldn't seat him at all. This has been the strategy from day one. We'll follow it. Wow. Um... I said this, too. So that's Continetti of the award-winning Washington Free Beacon talking about how the uh, one side of the political aisle is definitely interested in delaying the Kavanaugh vote until after the election so that they can kind of get payback for what happened with Merrick Garland. And I just think that the Republicans who are in charge of the chamber right now should move forward with the work that's being done. Um, A couple of quick things before we get back to... Um, our show sheet, because we still have USAID spending $89.7 million funding uh, Afghan women's jobs. <laughs> and then U.S. sanctions costing Russian government billions of dollars. So, you know, for a president who loves Russia, boy, Trump sure is, you know, sticking it to him. And, of course, I, you know, we got that stuff. But I'm just, I'm kind of like, I have this excitement going on. And I just can't help myself. So I told you guys a few weeks ago that I found my copy of this little pamphlet in 
a drawer that's from our when we moved from our old house and I just kind of dumped that drawer into another drawer here at the new house and this pamphlet was in it and so I hadn't used it this little prayer book since you know since that time and so when I found it I'm like oh my goodness this is so awesome you know I'm so excited about finding this so I wanted first of all I didn't say who wrote the book it's called scripture confessions for moms life-changing words of faith for every day it's published by Harrison House in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can go to Harrison House's website and get it. The list of prayers that are in here, which all have corresponding scriptures with them. Becoming the mother God says I am. Godly household. The greater one in my children. My children's spiritual growth. My children hear God's voice. My children are obedient to authority. Divine protection for my children. Health and healing for my children. My children have pleasant personalities. My children's self-image. And for my children to choose godly friends my children's future. And so when you read through, they're so comprehensive. It's such a great uh, little kind of prayer manual for you to use and pray over your kids and confess these things over your kids. So I wanted to kind of wrap that up and let people know um, where they could get that. It's Harrison House Publishers. So now, um, breaking news in the story about... um, the young man, Botham Jean, who was shot in his apartment by the officer who was off duty. They're putting out now that there was a release of a search warrant showing that marijuana was found in Botham Jean's apartment. Now, I don't know what the law is in Texas about marijuana. If it's, if, if they have, you know, it's been partially legalized across the country in different um, forms. So in some places you can have some for personal use in some places you can't have, you know, it's, it's completely illegal. Federal law has not changed on it. It's, it's illegal to possess marijuana. It's a controlled substance, but I got to say, what does that have to do with the fact that he was unjustly killed in his apartment? He wasn't smoking marijuana when the officer went to his apartment by mistake. And her story has changed since the original story was issued. This, this is one of those, this is an easy A. This is the easy button on that commercial about the office supplies. This is like easy peasy. And I don't mean that she's not entitled to due process, but there's no, there's no reason to demonize him. There's no reason to try to make him seem like he was a bad guy. He was a churchgoer. He was singing in the choir. He attended Bible study. He went to college. He worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers. What does any marijuana possession have to do? Unless unless they found a huge like marijuana plant stash and he's growing it for dealing. What does this have to do with anything? Why do we have to tear him down now? So here's the story. Attorneys for both and Jean's family are outraged that the document describing drug evidence became public on the same day as his funeral. One of the warrants became a public record Thursday afternoon when it was returned to the judge who signed it. It was shortly after Jean's funeral had ended. It listed several items found in Jean's apartment, including a small amount of marijuana. The search warrant executed in Jean's apartment at Southside Flats specifically sought fired cartridge casings, fired projectiles, firearms, ballistic vests, keys, evidence of blood, video surveillance systems, and contraband such as narcotics or other items used in criminal offenses. 
the inventory return yielded two fired cartridge casings, one laptop computer, one black backpack with police equipment and paperwork, one insulated lunchbox, one black ballistic vest with police markings, 10.4 grams of marijuana in Ziploc bags, one metal marijuana grinder, two RFID keys, two unused packages of medical aid. The document does not say where any of the items were located in the apartment or who the items belonged to, but we can, I can tell you right now, Botham Jean didn't have a black backpack with police equipment and paperwork. He didn't have cartridge casings. He didn't have any ballistic vests with police markings. Those items belong to the police officer who went into his apartment. So Gene's family legal team was unaware of the document when it was first released. Regardless of whose marijuana it was, the attorneys say it doesn't matter. Because at this point, we don't know if the marijuana belonged to him or if it belonged to the police officer. I'm willing to withhold judgment. It could have belonged to either one of them. I mean, are we, are we really saying that the marijuana is automatically his because she was a police officer? Like police officers are un- incapable of smoking marijuana? So we don't know whose it was. I think it's really, um, it's really sad. This is, this is the way they're, they're choosing to handle this. So the police officer did consent to a blood draw the night of the shooting and toxicology reports for both her and the victim are still pending. Um, I'm just covering that here. It's, it's breaking news. I I find it disgusting and sad, but there it is. Um, so moving on state department, U S sanctions have cost the Russian government tens of billions of dollars. Awfully suspicious activity for a man who's supposed to be a Russian agent, but apparently U.S. sanctions imposed by the Trump administration against Russia have cost the Kremlin an estimated tens of billions of dollars. A senior State Department official spoke to Congress about this on Thursday. In testimony before the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Assistant Secretary of State Manisha Singh said the administration is preparing a second round of sanctions against Russia in retaliation for their nerve agent attack in Great Britain. We plan to impose a very severe second round of sanctions. She said this package will include a laundry list of items that will penalize the Russian government, ranging from banking sanctions to prohibitions on procurement of defense articles. Whoa. So um, I think it's interesting. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Ed Royce lauded the Trump administration for recently sanctioning more than 200 Russian companies, banks, and individuals, but joined Bipartisan calls for the White House to do more. Um, Okay. I mean, you can always say you need to do more. Like, have you ever cleaned something up or, you know, done something and you just spent a whole lot of hours doing it and then someone says, oh, that's good. But did you? And then then you know that in their mind they're saying, well, you could have done more. Anybody can say you could have done more. The question is, is he is he doing is is the president executing sanctions that are bringing about the results that are desired, the sanctions targeted and and delivered efficiently so that they can bring about the result that they want. Now, 
This last piece here, um, boy, this really gets my goat. You guys know how I am about USAID funding. I think the entire agency should be disbanded. Everybody who works there, let go to, to recreate their, their, their prospects in the private sector. They could do it in rolling, like everyone who retires from USAID, you just don't replace them and keep doing that until by attrition, the entire agency has been dismantled. That's what should happen with USAID. It's unclear whether the agency can deliver the opportunities it promised the women of Afghanistan after spending $89.7 million to try to find jobs for 55 Afghani women. Don't you just sometimes, do you wonder, do you, do you say to yourself, I'm a taxpayer. Could they just spend a million dollars finding me my dream job? I mean, I have my dream job. So this is my dream job. <laughs> I'm not looking for another job. But maybe, maybe I know someone who doesn't have their dream job, but they want it. I wonder if the U.S. government could spend, instead of $89 million for 55 people, how about just $1 million for one person? to find them their dream job and help fund it. I just, it's stunning. It's like it's monopoly money. Even when you're playing monopoly, you don't spend money this recklessly. The United States Agency for International Development Program promised to empower 75,000 women, but so far has shown little progress. And this is according to a special report by the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction an agency known as SIGAR. It is unclear whether the agency can deliver the USAID program promoting gender equity in national priority programs or promote is a five-year, $216 million effort. Can you imagine how many orphan kids we could put into stable homes if we used Two hundred and sixteen million dollars. How many? How many kids who are living in foster care and substandard conditions could be elevated up into better conditions if we had that kind of money put towards them? I'm talking about American citizens, by the way. I'm sorry that I don't care about getting Afghans jobs or funding them. I'm sorry about that. Nothing I can do about it though, because I just don't care. The end of the program performance indicator target for one component is for twenty one hundred women to find new or better employment with the Afghan government. As of September 2017, 55 women did. The 2017 goal of the program was to help 420 women find new or better employment, enroll 1,968 women in the internship program, and have 900 of them graduate from the program. Halfway through the year, Promote had only found new or better employment for 39 women. The target for enrollment in internships fell 1,000 women short. 132 women graduated from the program. In the transformation decade, which are the years 2015 to 2024, a new generation of Afghan leaders, both men and women, will emerge who are equipped with the education, skills, and desire to build a brighter future for Afghanistan. How about if we take a couple hundred million dollars and work on getting Americans who are of the 15 to 24 age range in physical shape to be able to pass the entrance exam into the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Army, U.S. Marine Corps, or U.S. Navy. Because we are currently at a critical number of people in that age group. We don't have enough of them to wage a full-scale war because 
too many Americans in that age range are obese and could not withstand the rigors of the combat situation. How about a couple hundred million spent on getting those people ready to go? I mean, I just, where are our priorities? We just toss money around like it just grows on trees. And I think these government bureaucrats think it does grow on trees because I saw another announcement today, record number of taxes collected, record amount of taxes collected by the U.S. government. So as long as the money is pouring in like rain, I guess we can afford to just drop a couple hundred million here. Hey, you Afghanis, catch it. Catch a couple hundred million. Hey, you you Russians, catch, you know, catch a couple hundred million. USAID, we just give it away. Hey, Pakistanis, catch one point seven billion. Hey, Myanmar, catch seventeen hundred dollars. <laughs> we we even give out disbursements that tiny. It probably cost more than seventeen hundred dollars to get that disbursement issued through some government agency passing through like eight or nine different employees' hands. And we should have just said, "No, USAID, you don't need any." And also, you Pakistan don't need any either. And also, you uh, Russia, you don't need any. And China, we owe you too much money anyway. Apply our USAID payments to our interest on our debt. Also to Taiwan and, and Japan, who we owe money to as well. I mean, it's, 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 it's stunning. Stunning. Like, how is this happening to us? All right, that's the weekend. You know what? Unplug. Get outside. Enjoy. God bless you. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. Get in a pew on Sunday, too. Don't forget. All right. Good night. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association. Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk.